stop thinking about the crossword as a linear puzzle and start thinking about it as something you can attack from every angle. I'm Jeff Umbro. And I'm Kevin Christopher Robles. Today, Dan Nasta speaks to us about the process of developing the observer's crossword, as well as offering up some tips and tricks for solving it. Then, John McCullough goes gonzo at Winter Ball. Finally, David Frezzalone talks about his experience as the newest member of Stove's cabin crew, and how they develop their shows. This is Retrospect, the official podcast of the Fordham Observer. We're joined by Dan Nasta, the Fun and Games editor. Thank you for joining us. No problem. I always wanted to be on Retrospect. So, Dan, talk to us about the process of creating the crossword. The way a crossword puzzle is built, or the way a New York Times crossword puzzle is built, and which all great crossword artists aspire to, is that there is themes to every puzzle, and every puzzle has about three to four themed clues. So those clues should be longer words. I strive for eight to 11 about in word length, but you could also do a 15, which would be nice, because a crossword grid is 15 letters by 15 letters. For example, we ran a puzzle where I wrote and this was pretty bad, I'll admit, um, but it was bug or animal-themed social media puns. So Snap Gnat was one of them, and it was just a dumb rhyming thing. And then, so I, I wrote those, and I had a whole list, like Linked Insect, Bumble, haha. I, I collate this list, I find the words that relate to my joke or pun the best, or the ones that I like the most, and then I put them on a grid, which means that I just put them so that they're symmetrical with each other in the grid, fill in the blocks where they need to be, and then fill in the blocks to try to make the best puzzle, because you want a lot of words overlapping with each other in order to create good puzzle interlay and make it easier if like somebody gets one word but is stuck on another. So yeah, once I fill in the words and once I spend a long time trying to make every word count, I go to the cluing portion of the crossword construction so I take all of this word list that I've just created and generated. So one to like 65 down, uh, from one to 65 across and one to 65 down. And I take the words and then I think of clever or amusing ways to communicate the answer to a reader. So often this involves wordplay or synonyms uh, or fill in the blanks if they're cultural references. So there's all sorts of ways that you can make a crossword puzzle more fun rather than just being straight across with just like definitions, like dictionary definitions. So a lot of people complain that my crossword puzzles are hard, but I think they're a little bit easy. And I think that if it's tricky, that just means that you get an aha moment later on. And that's really what I'm striving for. Do you have any crosswords in particular that you've done before that were favorites of yours? There's a famous crossword that the New York Times did. So it was published on the day of an election. And it was designed so that either Clinton wins or Dole wins, I think, were the two answers because it's Clinton versus Bob Dole for the election. Oh, Bob Dole is the same amount of letters as Clinton, so that, that was probably it. And all of the crosses worked with syn synonyms so that either word could fit equally into the grid. And it was an amazing feat of crossword engineering and something that one day I hope to 
be sophisticated enough to invent. How do you feel about the reaction on campus to your crosswords? I don't think it would be out of line to say that readership for the observer has increased because of the inclusion of the crossword. Well, I would love to see statistics that would help my ego like that, but um, I'm just glad whenever I see somebody doing it or whenever anybody talks to me about doing it, whether their feedback is positive or negative, I really just, it brings me great joy to hear that people are putting their time into the puzzles that I'm creating. For anyone who might be having trouble doing your crosswords, do you have any advice for them? The best advice I can give is to start with the long ones. Then once you have letters in specific corners, you work on the clues that cross with that. Stop thinking about the crossword as a linear puzzle and start thinking about it as something you can attack from every angle. People get too married to exactly figuring out a clue's meaning when you can more easily deduce answers based on holes left behind by you solving other words. So start thinking out of the box. Now, the crossword isn't the only thing that you do on the fun and games section. Can you talk about the process of developing the other games, like Sudoku, or more recently, in this issue, Help the Ram Find the Van? So the other games besides the crossword that come into the fun and game section mostly derive from how, how I feel on any given week about what I think should be in the section. Essentially, if I have some clues left over from my theme puzzle that I didn't get to use in the crossword, I might make that into the answer for the word scramble and try to work on theme with that to make the page more consistent. On weeks like when we published the maze, it was because there was a specific size hole in the page when we were laying it out and we needed something to fill that space. And we had joked for a long time about putting a maze in the fun game section because it sounded lazy. But then I tried to make a maze and it took me like two hours and it really hurt my brain. So yeah, much respect to the maze makers. My maze is really easy, but it was a labor of love. Do you have any final words to say to the Fordham community that so often finds itself enjoying your work? Well, keep on puzzling, guys. And uh, if you want to do better on the crosswords, reading books really helps. Thanks for joining us, Dan. Thank you for having me. We're joined by Opinions Editor Emeritus John McCullough, who was also the Observer's correspondent at Winter Ball last Friday evening. Hello. Thanks for being here, John. No, my pleasure. Absolutely. So, John, just explain to us what you did at Winter Ball, kind of what your role was in covering the event for the Observer. Well, I came pretty much in the last two hours because that was sort of what the Essex House would allow for uh, just a a press pass. So I tried to get an idea of uh, how the night had gone for some people. So most of the first half hour was just me scouring the dance floor trying to get people's opinions of what they had experienced so far. But the rest of the night was really me trying to go for a sort of more like experiential gonzo type thing where I just sort of tried to list some moments that were interesting to me, little vignettes and and things in as chronological in order as I could remember in retrospect. Could you expand on your gonzo reporting? (laughs) I sort of tried to get to the the bare bones of it as much as I could with just me and the people being characters themselves in the story and then trying to get 
some sense of the whole experience from that as opposed to just typical journalistic writing. So what moment from the evening stood out to you the most? There were a couple of moments. One that I really liked was there was just just some some girl that was really really managing along at dancing despite the fact that she had like a boot or like a cast on. Uh, you got to admire that tenacity. Also, my friend Dan, he just picked the exact right moment to floss during a Romeo Santos song. I was surprised by how how well it actually it worked. Like uh, you wouldn't think that the floss dance. Can you talk about the general mood and atmosphere of Winter Ball? What was it like being there? People seemed to be having a good time. It was a nice experience. It was nice seeing some some people I knew there. The the DJs kept refusing to take requests and then giving in. Uh, like I know Dan asked for the Scatman song, the the Scooby Doo Doo Boop, that one. Finally, at the, the end of the night, he got it and just released this very uh, primitive, ungodly wail that really stuck in my mind. But he was just so happy to hear the Scatman. Would you recommend someone actually go pay and go through all the trouble of? preparing and dressing up for winter ball considering you had a press pass i think it depends on the person you know where you are with money i mean i i, I am someone who does like to dress up and, and go to those sorts of events so i, I don't know i would say if, if, you, if you want go for it it's fun i can understand not wanting to, to pay the money for the ticket though although just to to clarify your press pass like you said meant that you arrived a couple hours late yes. and you missed the meal part yes. of the night which is the food which is of course one of the focal points that is one of the perks um, and yes. one of the main reasons that you would pay yes the 65 dollar ticket price precisely for example i i went i paid for it i got it was a salmon uh, baked salmon with shaved radish on top shaved and radish. a lentil cauliflower base on the bottom. That is swanky. I, I'd heard everyone getting the filet mignon. Filet mignon, I think, was the more popular choice. Yeah, yeah. So I want to jump to one moment that you talk about in your write-up of Winter Ball towards the end of the night where you rip your jacket. Could yeah. you just tell us a little bit about that? Well, they, they played, uh, the DJ played the song Shout, which everyone knows. You know you make me want to shout that one. And, you know, people, people got into a sort of group dance, as, as tends to happen at these sorts of things. I, I you know, I, I just overextended my arms, and my poor little jacket got ripped, and that was unfortunate. But, you know, as I, as I write, my, my contribution, my, uh, my sacrifice. So there you go. Are you going to try and fix the jacket or just buy a new jacket altogether? I'll try to fix it. I like that suit. I think I'll, <laughs> I'll try, to, try to get it sewed. Any final words for anyone who might have been at Winter Ball or, or who might be thinking of going there in the future? I hope you enjoyed it if you went. I hope you will enjoy it if you decide to go. We live in a very atomized time, very, uh, you know, individualized time. Good to try to get a sense of community wherever you can. All right. Thanks so much for coming on, John. Thank you. We're joined by David Frezzalone, the newest member of Stove's Cabin Crew. Thanks for joining us. It's my pleasure. David, can you tell us about how you 
came to this school and what makes your newest membership to Stoves so different? Right. So I'm actually a, uh, I'm a freshman, but I'm also a transfer student. So I attended a different university last semester. What uh, school did you transfer from? I transferred from George Washington in D.C. Okay. So at GW, I did some stuff, too. I did a couple shows. I never really found something that I kind of stuck there. At Fordham, I was really pleased to find stoves. Can you talk to us about the process of joining stoves and what that was like and about the people who you met during that process? So when I first decided to join stoves, they sent a, I joined the email listing as soon as I could, and I got an email listing of their first meeting of the semester. When I went to that meeting, I was kind of it was kind of daunting in a way, just because everybody everybody there who had already been a member of the club, and you know, keep in mind this is the second semester of the year, so not many people joined. So I was the only new member and the only freshman too. So that was uh, scary enough, but you know, I was very lucky that the members of the club were very welcoming to me, especially me being a, a transfer and a freshman. They recognized that, and, and they kind of accepted me, and that really meant a lot to me. The people in the club, you know, they all have, you know, great souls. They're all great people, I can already tell. Let's talk about the most recent Stove show, which I believe is your first? Yes. Can you just quickly give us a rundown of what the theme was and how that was come up with? Uh, yeah, so the theme was uh, a fire festival show, obviously a parody of the fire festival, which went down in flames, unlike the show the other night. But there was a lot of gags and promising there would be certain people there, so that was kind of the theme, you know, obviously in jest. And that that was kind of conceptualized when, uh, you know, at these weekly meetings, we kind of threw out ideas, and I know that some of the people in the e-board of the club, you know, they, they came up with that fire festival idea, but we were all, you know, tossed out theme ideas uh, during those meetings, and we kind of collaborated and came from there. Can you speak more to the process of developing a show for stoves? Sure. This is actually a really great part of the, of the club is that, Anybody can do what your interest is. For example, I'm more inclined to do improv. And when I talked to, you know, the members of the club, I said, you know, I'm, I'm interested in improv. They're like, sure, perfect. We'll get you doing that. And sure enough, I was able to do that during the show. And other people, they said, I have this great idea to do this stand-up set about this. And they were able to do that. And likewise, if you're interested in writing sketches, you can share that with, with the group, read it at a meeting. And then they will all give feedback on it, and similarly with the stand-up and everything else. So whatever you know your interest is, you're really able to do it there, and that's something invaluable. Can you talk a little bit about the improv that you did at the show? Sure. So I just did a couple, you know, run-of-the-mill improv games, sort of. Um, but they're all just so fun to do because every single time you do it, it's new and and you can get this whole new hilarious story every time you do it. You know, one of the games, for example, was like, you know, one scene in three genres where, you know, you perform one scene in one genre, so movie drama, for example, a horror, and then the next one will be a Western, you know. So it's the same idea, but in a totally different thing. And just the immediacy of it is so entertaining for both the performers and the audience members. How's the crowd? The crowd was awesome. I was really, really impressed with the crowd, and I just felt really supported. Like, before I went on stage, I was, um, you know, went up in front of them, I was a little nervous, like, what if I don't, what if I'm not funny, you know, all this. But then when I saw how they reacted to everybody, and they were really there just to support, and, you know, that added an extra layer of padding for me, and it definitely made me feel more comfortable and confident to get out. I guess, lastly, do you have anything to say to people 
who perhaps might not know too much about stoves? Sure, absolutely. So stoves, as I've already found, is extremely welcoming. And even if you're not totally sure about joining or anything, you can absolutely just come down to a meeting or two and come down to see a show. You know, I definitely recommend just checking it out because I think you'll really like it. Well, thanks for coming on. It's my pleasure. Thank you. This has been Retrospect. I'm Kevin Christopher Robles. And I'm Jeff Umbro. Until next time.